Let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning. We have been in a series uh, dealing with the one another passages in the Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, uh, this summer. And uh, as you can see, we're dealing with being of the same mind with one another, but there's many angles one could take toward that, but today we're going to do it from the angle of of what is, uh, what's true biblical fellowship. Uh, Being of the same mind leads to biblical fellowship. There is no biblical fellowship unless people are being of the same mind with one another. Now, if you were asked the question, here at St. Andrews, where does fellowship take place? Where does our real biblical fellowship take place? Some of you might say, well, this morning at 9 o'clock, we had our Krispy Kreme donuts, we had our coffee and our juice. That's how it's advertised. Fellowship, in fact, today we're really doing the fellowship up because after this service, we will be in the family center and have what? A fellowship lunch. Is that biblical fellowship? Now, I won't say that those don't have anything to do with it. And in fact, they, they may lead into biblical fellowship. And it's okay for us to use those terms. I'm not criticizing that. We all do that. Some churches have a fellowship hall. You know, that's where you go to do the, the fellowship. We've been told here uh, folks come for an inquirer's class. And Friday night we have a dinner. Saturday morning we have a breakfast. And people will say, boy, you all sure know how to eat around this place. Well, how do you think I became Irmo's fastest growing pastor, you know, if that's, if that's not the case? But those are not equivalent to biblical fellowship. There's another thing about it when we're, we're talking about this being of the same mind as well, and that is that it doesn't mean always agreeing on everything. We're going to look at this later. That, that, to, to get into that position would, would be virtually impossible, and yet... In the early church, there's no question, there was biblical fellowship. And today we're going to look at, uh, see the example of that as we read our our text, but we're not going to spend a lot of time in that text because we're then going to look at some principles of biblical fellowship. And all the while, of course, as we head toward this table before us. We read in Acts chapter 2, 
verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then we read over in chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we bow before you, we ask that you would teach us not not those things that we think we already know about fellowship, but the things that you have told us in your word of true biblical fellowship. May we, Lord, even in this service experience around this glorious table so well set by you. May we experience fellowship with you and with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now very quickly, we're going to look at at four principles in terms of biblical fellowship. For many of you, none of these will be new, and yet these are aspects that come out again and again in various ways by example, but here by precept in 1 John 1 verse 3, fellowship is based on relationship. Even as I just prayed, uh, fellowship, there, there is no fellowship without relationship. We read this. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So it talks about it in two ways, fellowship with one another, but then fellowship, uh, vertical kind that is absolutely necessary with the Father through Jesus Christ trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life. John, in this passage and in that book, was dealing with uh, some of the heresies that had had risen up and they got even uh, worse in his day. And some were wondering, here I am claiming to be a Christian 
and yet I'm really struggling when it comes to sin. I, I keep sinning. Now, am I a Christian or am I not a Christian? And so uh, John tries to deal with that uh, in a head-on way, those that were stumbling and unsure. He says that he, he wrote, in order that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the word that he used there is the word, and some of you would have guessed this, is koinonia. There are, uh, we have K groups here. Some churches call their group, their uh, small groups, koinonia groups. The whole idea of having relationship with one another, and that's where it comes from, this word fellowship. It is communion, it's close relationship, it's participation, it's uh, sharing with one another. It's not activity. And that's where the church often gets confused. Somebody asks you, do you have any fellowship at your church? Oh, yeah, we've got this. And you start mentioning things that go on from, you know, the softball team, the basketball team to, you know, the various activities that we do. Now, all of those can be conducive to leading toward fellowship, but we just can't mistake those for fellowship because you can actually do those without experiencing biblical fellowship. I'll give you an example. Now, I, I wasn't listening in on any conversations downstairs this morning, but think back to conversations you had, or maybe we should go back to last week and think, I wonder how many conversations down there were about, uh, you know, a certain baseball game uh, series that had taken place. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. But we can't mistake those kinds of uh, surface relationships in other words, relating to one another because we both like this team or we both think the weather's really hot this week or something like that, that's different than koinonia. Koinonia goes deeper than that. It's based on relationship. We, we have the same relationship. We have a relationship with one another because of our common relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. I have seen this again and again, uh, especially in various parts of the world. To me, that's when I, I have noticed it, when I've had opportunity to teach and preach in other parts of the world. Almost immediately, there is relationship there. It has nothing to do with common language, common interests. In fact, uh, some of the places I'm, I've been, I am as different from them as different can be. But there is an immediate affinity because of that common relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. That's that's the definition of fellowship here. 
You can explain that only in Christ. There's a second principle, and that is that fellowship is based on partnership. Uh, Philippians 1, 3 to 5. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partnership is the word, you guessed it, koinonia. It's the same word. It could have been translated fellowship. Here it's translated partnership. And we see that basically in in this passage and in this book, that it is used primarily a, a relationship of they are partnering with him in terms of finances. You heard earlier, Trace was up here. He said, I love you folks. And I believe him. But you know, you know why? Well, it's not because we're paying him to love us. That's not it. That's not what he was saying. We have a common affinity, common relationship, and we've partnered with him in supporting them, in sending them. So in essence, we've both got our shoulder to the same wagon and we are pushing together. And that gives you an affinity. That gives you a fellowship. And that's the idea of partnership here. You know, through the years, you can't help, if you're a pastor for a a number of years, you can't help but come across people who are critical. Critical of pastors or of leadership or of the church. I mean, that's just the way it is. There are people like that. I know this comes as a big surprise to you, but there are people like that. You know what I've noticed? Rarely. Rarely is it someone who really has their shoulder to the wagon. Rarely is it someone who is putting energy into serving that particular body of Christ. The energy's in the criticism, and it's being drained there. This is talking about a partnership. And that partnership brings fellowship. Thirdly, fellowship is based on communion. In Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, when when I say communion here, I'm not just talking about the Lord's Supper. I am convinced that that is part of it. But that's not all there is to it. Look, look in here and in terms of uh, the things that he mentions. Again, the, the word is koinonia. Uh, it's communicating on an intimate level. That's what I mean by communion. J.I. Packer put it this way. It is first a sharing with our fellow believers the things that God has made known to us about himself in order that we may thus help them to know him better 
and so enrich their fellowship with him. And that fits with this verse. There are four things mentioned. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, of bread, and prayers. And look, some of you know that's one of my little pet peeves. I, I probably won't ever rebuke you personally, and if you've said this to me, don't worry about it. But if somebody shares something with you that they're struggling with, do more than think about them. You know that temptation to say, I'll be thinking about you. Well, that's nice to be thought about. But what Christ calls us to do is to pray. And look, if you're one of those that's afraid you'll forget to pray and then you will have told a lie, you know, um, I'm very careful because a lot of people will say, will you pray for this? You know what I do? I pray right then either with them or as soon as they're gone, I pray right then. I don't even say, I will be praying for you unless I know that I will and I'm putting them on a list. I say, I will pray for you. And then I do it. And that brings uh, and is conducive to fellowship. All of these things. You, you see the difference between what he's talking about here and just talking about the ball game yesterday. Now, I don't want to wreck our, our dinner down there. I mean, I don't want to walk down there and everybody be sitting there silent because they think, oh boy, he's going he's gonna to be walking around. And uh, you talk about the ball game. That's okay. Look, that's what it's for. It's to get to know each other and, and that kind of thing but we ought to always be looking to go deeper with folks. And fellowship's based on sharing, and that's where it's shown. Again, in Acts 2, 44 and 45, and all who believe were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's the application, the outworking of community. Now, some people get really disturbed by this because they say, Oh, boy, it's talking about communism. Uh, you know, if, if we push this, we're going to be a bunch of communists. Well, no. It's different. They were doing it because of their fellowship. Because of their common relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Because of their partnership working together because of their common devotion to the apostles' teaching, that's where they were of the same mind of who Christ is and what he did for me. And because of that, they did it willingly and out of love. They didn't have to be guilted into giving to other people. They said, I've got something. My brother needs uh, some of it, and I will share. It, it's when I uh, do premarital counseling, I talk with a couple how, how look, once you get married, it's not going to any longer be 
my stuff and my money and her stuff or, you know, his stuff and his money. It's ours. Now, why is that? Because of the communion. Because of the covenant relationship. It's ours. And that's what was happening in this church. It was based on love for one another. Over in 1 John 3, verse 16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Okay, he's calling us (laughs) to, to die for one another. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, I think he was saying that, look, you may never have to lay down your life for your brother. You may, and you should if you are called on for that. You may never have to. But if you see your your brother in need, out of love, we've got to address that. You know, we have the opportunity today after this service, our offering that we do. It goes to people in our church who have needs and then those in the community. We can say we love each other all all we want, but the world doesn't believe the words of the church. The world believes the deeds of the church because they can't deny them. And so we are called to these deeds. You won't experience biblical fellowship by waiting for someone to come to you. You will begin to sense biblical fellowship when you know that you are the fellowship and you start acting like it. You won't experience biblical fellowship by waiting for your needs to be met, but you will experience it by seeking to meet the needs of others. For some of you, that's missing. You may even have friends, but do you have those that lay down their life for you? It's biblical fellowship. Would you lay down your life for others? It's a contentment, a joy, because we're sharing in love for what Christ loves so much, and that's his body. For the early church, listen to the elements that made them so special. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. One of the elements of that fellowship with one another was the breaking of bread. We have devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the word of God. We have prayed. And now as we experience our bond of our union with one another, listen to these words that bring us to this table from 1 Corinthians 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It goes back to fellowship. You see, that's the warning here. Remember, it's that relationship with one another, but it's because it's based on our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And so those who are in that fellowship are invited to this table of fellowship to fellowship with him and with one another. It's a family table. Now, if you're not trusting in Christ yet, we're so glad you're here. I really am glad you're here. And I want you to watch what goes on at this family table because there's some truths that you can see about the body and blood of Christ. You'll hear and you'll see these signs that we receive. As, and you'll see how we examine ourselves and we take it seriously and then we rejoice in the great forgiveness that he has given to us. I'm glad you're here to see that, but look, don't make a mockery of this table if you're not in the family. And I hope and I trust that by the next time we have this supper that you will be in the family and will come and rejoice with us. And if you have small children who haven't publicly professed their faith in Christ yet, use this as a teaching time. Don't let them take if they, if they haven't done that. But teach them today and bring them along to that point of really appreciating what it means to look deep and then to eat deeply upon him and to be nourished by him. It's not about being a member of this church. You are invited if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. And if you are willing to deal with sin that you struggle with, this is the table for you. Let me pray and ask God to set these elements apart from their normal everyday use. Let's pray.